Happy New Year! It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent January 5th in the year of our Lord. 2020. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. Happy New Year! Feliz Navidad. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You want some chocolates? I have some leftover chocolates. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Chocolates. Chocolates. Chocolates galore. Happy New Year. All the best in 2020. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Aren't you fucking thankful, grateful? Aren't you fucking over the moon that we are in 2020? We can drop the facade. Get the fuck out of my face. We're in a new year, a new decade, and I want to go back to the old days of just not giving a fuck about a motherfucker and their whereabouts. Never mind the happy new year. Just go back to your little whatever the fuck it is. Get back on your side of the fence. Leave me alone. The holidays are over. You know, we can go back to ignoring each other at the grocery store, you know? When you're at the grocery store and somebody's like standing right in front of the soup, you know, you're just trying to pick out a fucking lousy can of soup for your pitiful fucking evening meal. Some fucking peasant, they're just standing in front of the soup, their fucking face like an inch away from the soup. And you gotta like stand there and pretend like, oh my God, like, are you gonna pick a soup? Are you just going to fantasize about soup? Can I pick a soup? What the fuck? Right? And they're just standing there. You know, and then you got to like, you know, kind of weasel your way in and grab your fucking can of soup. And, um, oh, thank you. Happy New Year. <laughs> the facade is over. 2020. Job bless. So, if you're new to the show... Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast. I am an actor extraordinaire. Yes. 19 years of service. Diploma in theater arts. Yeah. Thespian to the bone, ladies and gentlemen. As I mentioned on the previous episode, sometimes it's darkest before the dawn. Yes. And um, I guess what that's saying is sometimes, you know, things can seem bleak, um, forlorn, pointless. <laughs> and um, my 2019 as an actor was actually artistically very successful. I felt very um, empowered in a lot of the decisions I made. I did a lot of audio plays. Um, you can check them out on my YouTube page. JR the P Snips. That's a section on my YouTube channel. Jonathan Ramcharan on YouTube. And I did some audio plays, narrated pieces. Um, along with that, I had commissioned some funky artwork to try to make the audio plays stand out online. So artistically, I felt pretty good as an actor in 2019. Um, and I also, as part of being an actor, as you can see, I am sweating. Look at those beads of sweat. Look at that forehead. Look at that sweaty forehead, you know? As an actor, sometimes you be under the lights. Whether it be on a podcast or on a stage. And you be sweating up a motherfucking storm. Or sometimes you're just pissed drunk. That's another reality of being an actor, you know? And you'll be sweating it up. So there's a lot of sweat involved in being an actor. Sweat, blood, pain, heartache, and tears. Tears. Tears of joy sometimes. And as I said... Sometimes it's darkest before the dawn. Yeah, artistically, very thankful for 2019. But going into 2020, got a couple things coming up. Couple things lined up. I have an audition peeking its way around the corner. And I'm feeling pretty blessed for that. Feeling pretty excited. It's a young, enthusiastic uh, film production company. They make a lot of... Um, you know, um, industry videos, you know, videos for, you know, clients, industry stuff. Like, I don't know, like, let's say you own a, you own a uh, you know, 
a taco hut. They might, you could hire them to like make a video to promote your taco hut. Or, uh, you know, if you run a business, they can make media to enhance your business. So they have a lot of background in that. So, you know, they're, um, you know, they've been through the ringer. They put their dues in. So finally, they have this exciting kind of um, production coming up. I lucked out, heard about them, applied for the audition, and very excited to see what happens. They're kind of on the grind, like yours truly, Jonathan Ramtran of Jonathan Ramtran the Podcast. So, you know, a couple hustlers linking up, trying to make them things go in 2020. Very blessed. So there you have it, folks. You know? Sometimes it is darkest before the dawn, but you got to hold on. So there's a great decade ahead for you and for me. And everything I spoke on there is relatable across industry. Whatever you're doing, you know, whatever floats your boat, um, hang in there. Look forward to the fresh decade and just try to be positive and link up with like-minded people. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor. I am also an alcoholic. (laughs) Yeah, I'm an alcoholic, folks. Three years of consecutive, consistent sobriety. What the fuck? It's a new decade. I should feel pretty blessed for that. You know, I was fucking pissed drunk, pissing my pants, stumbling in and out of bars, waking up in the hospital, you know, pissing on ATM machines. I pissed on an ATM machine once and I got busted by the cops, right? Excuse me, sir. What do you think you're doing? Ah, fuck off. You know, I'm just taking a piss. Got a $70 $70 ticket for public urination. You know, I lived in a men's shelter. You know, that was like um, in the earlier parts of 2010, the 2010 decade. I lived in a men's shelter for four months, you know, I just, I was well into my alcoholism. And uh, through the grace of recovery, I was able to maintain um, three years of consecutive, consistent sobriety in the 2010s, you know, and going forward into this fresh, going forward into this fresh decade, 2020. Um, I got three years of sobriety under my belt, and I'm very excited to um, see the new realized version of myself, see what I can do with this um, gift that I've been given. Sobriety is a gift, you know, and as corny and as cheesy and cornball as it sounds, um, sobriety is a gift, and it gets better. The, the longer you are in it, with it, and you begin to treasure it, truly. I'm very grateful for it, and I wouldn't want it any other way. So if you're like me and you're out there and you're struggling, 2020, you know, it's a beautiful time to get things right. And um, if you're looking for ideas, I suggest try what I did. What I did was I joined a 12-step program. That's nothing official. There's no dues, no fees, no emphasis on religion, you know? Nobody's going to be down your throat about what you believe in, you know? You're free to decide. Um, So yes, there's no dues, no fees, no emphasis on religion. Um, What it is is basically group therapy. You attend these meetings, and there are these meetings all over the world. That's how far the program reaches. So you can attend these meetings. Um, You get to practice various steps of sobriety. It's a 12-step program, and it can be a little bit daunting if you're new in recovery, so I'm not going to try to push all this information on you. But generally speaking, in a 12-step program, The first step is, number one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. That is the first step in a 12-step program. 
we admitted we are powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. Our lives have become unmanageable. We're powerless over alcohol. And if you can admit that, and if you can accept that, that is strength. That is strength in knowing you are no longer going to be playing, you know, teeter-totter, seesaw, flip-flop, back and forth, turtling. You're making a statement to yourself that enough's enough. You admitted you are powerless over alcohol and that your life has become unmanageable. And that's strength. And from there, you can get into the rest of the steps. You can learn about yourself. At these meetings, you get to share on issues pertaining to your recovery. And you get to listen. You get to hear from others. And through that, you become a part of a community, right? And you come out of your isolation because alcoholism is antisocial, self-centered behavior. You tend to isolate, you, you tend to become self-absorbed, and that just doesn't make for healthy interaction out there in the real world, whatever you consider real. And, um, you know, you come out of your isolation, day by day your days add up, then one day you find yourself in a new day. Hallelujah. Yeah, recovery. And, you know, to be honest, you know, why I consider myself a recovering alcoholic after three years of sobriety, I personally believe that I'm never cured of my alcoholism. I have a daily reprieve. I have remittance. I live in remittance. So I have to maintain my sobriety. I have to keep focused. I have to keep grateful. I have to keep um, on my toes because, you know, alcoholism is cunning, baffling, powerful. As I mentioned, the blessing of a new decade, 2020. Last year in 2019, I was pushing my artistic uh, prowess to the most that I could. I was making steps in my performing career, my recovery, my work life, which I'm going to get into, you know? So there was a lot of blessings. And going into 2020, feeling very charged, but the cunning, baffling, powerful nature of alcoholism is that every now and then you get a little bit of a <laughs> shiver me timbers, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Every now and then you get a little bit of a temptation. Now calm down, it ain't nothing I can't handle. But every now and then you find your mind like, yeah, I used to do that. I used to get drunk. I used to smoke weed, get high, taste the sky, you know? And, you know, I was going through a stroll. I was going for a stroll yesterday in my neighborhood. Beautiful Toronto, Canada winter weather. It's like a few degrees above zero. You know, it's fairly warm weather. It's like plus five degrees Celsius. No snow. Little squirrels jumping around. And... That's the sound of a squirrel, by the way. You know, you know, squirrels, squirrels are, you know, gawking or I don't know what that is. What is that? What kind of sound is that? Squawking? I don't know. Griping? Gr scoffing? I don't know. Squirrels are scoffing, you know, and birds are chirping. You know, birds are everywhere and stuff. Beautiful. Then all of a sudden, like, I 
getting a little bit of a flashback. You know? Just the tranquil beauty of a quiet winter wonderland. You know? Even though there was no snow. But like, just the tranquil nature of the moment got me like, feeling like, yeah, I would like to be shit-faced, fucked up high and out of my fucking tits. You know? That's the cunning, baffling, powerful nature of alcoholism and addiction. So you gotta be on your toesy posies. And that's what I'm saying in 2020. It's like all the blessings, but still the reality, I am a recovering alcoholic. I am always in in recovery (laughs) and I have to maintain my sobriety. And, um, but hey, I would, I wouldn't trade my, my best day drunk for my worst day sober. And that's for damn sure. That's for damn sure. Wouldn't trade my best day drunk for my worst day sober. Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, alcoholic. I am also a janitor. Yeah. I'm talking mop buckets, slop buckets, toilets, tampons, urinals, urinal cakes. I'm talking garbage bins, recycle bins, organic waste bins. I'm talking sweeping parking lots. I'm talking like listening to idiots babble at you. Um, excuse me, I couldn't help but notice. Get the fuck out my face before I slap you with this fucking wet mop. God made dirt and dirt don't hurt. I'm a motherfucking janitor. I push a little mop bucket. I dip the mop in the mop water. Then I mop the floor. You know, I uh, wash windows. You know, I push a garbage trolley. Push a little garbage trolley. Um, You know, vacuum. You know? And if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Um... As I mentioned, I am a performer. And um, everything that I've done over the past um, three years in my recovery and um, in my work life has led me to a place where um, it's like symbiotic. It's working together. If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. My janitorial hustle facilitates my performing. Because, yo, I've lived that hand-to-mouth, starving artist lifestyle, you know? It's a real fucking pisser, you know? Bumming around, men's shelters, drunk high all the time, crashing on people's couches, don't know where the rent check's coming, don't know what's around the corner. Ain't no way to live. And my janitorial hustle um, has allowed me To work smarter, not harder. So while it's not ideal (laughs) to be a janitor, um, it's really facilitating a lot of my um, growth. And I'm definitely looking at some optimism in 2020. And, (laughs) you know, I never thought I'd say it, but a, a lot in due to fact, a lot due to the fact that I'm a fucking janitor. <laughs> you know, a steady income, a roof over my head, money for equipment, um, X, Y, and Z, the production value that you must bring as a performer. You know, very blessed for that. And on the second tip, um, the blessing being that, you know, as a recovering alcoholic, you know, idle hands are the devil's playground. (laughs) Idle hands are the devil's playground. So when you're sitting around and you're twiddling your thumbs and twiddly dee to do to dum, you know what I mean? And you're unfocused. That's when all the thoughts, you know, the psychedelic, like, whoa, look at those squirrels hopping around, man. I'd love to just smoke a joint, you know? crack a few tall boys and just get lost in space for a couple hours, you know? Nature. Nature boy. <laughs> and, you know, when you're when you're unfocused, that's when 
the temptations and the, uh, you know, misleading thoughts can creep in. So having a nine to five uh, hustle, nine to five hustle keeps me on the straight and narrow. As old Jiminy Cricket would say, you know, on the old straight and narrow path. So very blessed. And, you know, going forward into 2020, you know, if you dip back into the lexicon of Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast, um, I have an extensive performing career, as I mentioned, 19 years in the game, Diploma in Theater Arts. And how I funded that the whole time was banging it out, you know, warehouse jobs, dishwasher, um, construction, construction sites, day laborer, um, you know, call center, telemarketing, um, retail, grocery, warehousing. Um, and then on the podcast, over the last two years of the podcast, Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast, I've been doing a lot of work. Um, I was temping, temp labor. I was doing a lot of temp labor. And then within the last year, I've been doing this janitorial hustle. And going forward, what my goal is, is to, you know, like I said, the blessings have been for real. The blessings are real. But it's like, I'm very much feeling the, the, I guess the, the yearning, you know, the, the heartfelt yearning to transition away to full-time performer. It's like, I feel like I've put in a lot of dues and it's sincerely time for some growth. And I can't force that hand. It's going to come when it comes. But it's like, I'm feeling very much like, okay, when something does pop up, when the tides of fortune begin to shift, I can feel prepared and I can feel um, validated in the change. Because it's like, you know, I have been putting in that effort, putting in that time. And it's like, you know, I'm very grateful for it, you know, but I'm very much in the, in the, in the mindset of transitioning out, full-time performer. And, you know, that's going to be when it's going to be. But till then, I'm just going to keep pushing that mop bucket, you know, keep, keep washing them windows, You know, I'll keep vacuuming, you know, keep pushing that garbage trolley. And um, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Blessed. Jonathan Ramcharan, janitor. And last of all, I am a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. 11 years of service. Been busting it, banging it out for 11 years as a stand-up comedian. Um, if you're new to the show, um, professionally, I, um, I worked as a middle act briefly in my past as a stand-up comedian. Um, middle act being like, you know, in a typical comedy show, there's the MC, there's the middle act, then there's the headliner, right? So, you know, the MC goes on, does like, you know, 10, 15 minutes entertaining the crowd, warming them up for the show. Then the middle act, which I was doing, goes on and does, you know, anywhere from like 15 to 30 minutes, generally speaking, depending upon the format of the show. And then, of course, the headliner goes on, does, generally speaking, 45 to one hour. You know, maybe they stretch it a little longer. Maybe they're a little shorter, you know, 45 minutes. But that's the general format. So in my professional career as a stand-up comedian, 
I did um, middle act, you know, briefly at some clubs, you know. I produced shows of my own previously in 2019, for example, Our Righteous Mike. That's a show I was producing in 2019, hoping to carry it forward. And um, bumps and scrapes, ups and downs, smiles and frowns. Um, Today, this evening, will be my first time back on stage in 2020. You know, the holidays are over, got to get up and hurrah, right? So I'm going to be out there hitting the pavement, pounding the pavement, slanging some jokes. Tonight will be the first time on stage in 2020. And going forward, um, you know, much like uh, everything I spoke on this episode uh, thus far, just going to keep counting them blessings, focusing on gross, (laughs) focusing on gross, you know? Yeah, I'm focusing on that gross dollar, motherfucker. Booyah! You know, I'm going to get some fucking ka-ching going this fucking year for sure. And uh, focusing on that gross income, focusing on growth, and just focusing on, focusing on. What else can you do? 2020, here I come. There you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, stand-up comedian. And those are the four things that sum me up at the moment, ladies and gentlemen. Jonathan Ramcharan. Actor, alcoholic, janitor, stand-up comedian. So, welcome to the show. Yeah. 2020, here we are. You know, gonna take a little sip of coffee here for a moment. New year, new haircut. What do you think, folks? That's been a recurring theme on Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast, you know. It's not easy getting a good haircut, you know. It's a very intimate thing, you know what I mean? Having somebody put their hands on you, sculpt and model your hair. (laughs) And like, you know, a lot of people grip, grip and gripe and grumble, you know. Some people think that like, some people think a haircut should be under $10. Like, are you out of your fucking mind? Like... Yo, they're putting their hands on you and like shaping your essence, you know, trimming your hair, making you look a certain way. It's so intimate. So it's like, you know, I think they deserve to be fairly well paid. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, but hey, fuck it, whatever. That's their problem. <laughs> Let them fight for their right. You know, I have to go fight for mine as a stand-up comedian. So... Barber, hairdresser writes, let them work out the fucking budget. But, you know, it's an intimate thing, getting a haircut. And it's always, uh, I always get a little anxiety about it because it's like a chore. It's like a whole fucking situation, you know. You know, for me, when I go get my haircut, I got to get up early, get to the place, get in line, listen to people you know, there's always a lot of talk at a barbershop. Yo, what's happening, fam? Yo, what's happening, cuz? You know, big things are bigging up. You know what I'm saying? Just cutting that hair, making that money. Yo, wagwan, fam. Yo, what's happening, player? This, that, and the other. skibidi be bop So much talk. And I know it sounds hypocritical as a stand-up comedian, podcaster, but it's like, yo, if you tune into the show, and I thank you for it, it's by your choice. You know, I'm not just showing up And like beating you over the head with my opinions, my point of view, my humor, like, and that's what you get a lot of times when you go to barbershops. Holy fuck. They're just like, (laughs) fam, yo, this girl, man, she's like, she be calling me. I'm like, why are you calling me? And blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, I'm top dog and blah, blah, blah. Skibidi, bop, bop, badoo. You know what I mean? And it's just like, ugh, it's like a headache. But, you know. A big theme of 2019 as well was my um, dealing with anxiety because my anxiety comes from the isolation that I went through as a alcoholic. I went through a period of time where it's like I really had no patience for anyone or anything other than 
I want to make my money, go home, get drunk. I would just go to work, you know, collect my paycheck, go home, crack a beer, look, 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 <laughs> you know, chain smoke cigarettes, you know, smoking weed, you know, I would just be getting tits to the wind every night, no interest, no patience for anybody or anything other than my addiction. So learning to reintegrate into society this last three years of sobriety, part of it is just being in the now, being in the moment. It's generally accepted that barbers and the whole barber experience is one of community, is one of, you know, like I said, it's a very intimate thing. And, you know, you got to sit down and let them run their hands through your hair and talk and squawk. And sometimes I just feel myself like, oh, my God, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Or we're going to kill somebody. Like, I, I get real fucking tense and nervous and anxious. And, you know, I kind of realized that um, yesterday when I went to get my hair cut because it's like, I was sitting there and I was getting the haircut and I'm always looking for little things to, you know, turn into a joke, turn into a performance, use on the podcast. And I found myself getting annoyed by all those little things. Uh, why is this person so judgmental? And why is this barber talking so much? And why can't they just hurry up? And then, then I thought about it and I'm like, well, look at the flip side. There was a young father there with his son. The little boy got his hair cut. The father got his hair cut. They're chatting with the barber. They were very happy, enthusiastic, laughing, talking about the Raptors basketball team. It was like a real father-son manly moment. And the value that the barber gave to the father and the son, there was a lot of value there, you know? He laughed with them. He, he spent time with them. He styled their hair like he was their hairdresser. He styled their hair, made them look all stylish. And let, and let them, you know, have a bonding thing between father and son. And then it was like a nice little father-son outing. But sometimes you have to like, you know, it all comes down to the inner child, right? Because after the child got his hair cut... He started, you know, Dad, Daddy, Daddy, let's go, let's go. And Dad's like, you got to wait, you know, like I'm getting my hair cut. We're almost done. We're almost done. Here, play on my phone. But, but Daddy, I want to leave. And it's like, see, like it all comes down to that inner child because in a lot of ways, the inner child is right. You know, it's like, I want to fucking leave. Get me out of here. You know, I'm sitting in this fucking chair. got this stupid little fucking garbage bag around my neck. They're snipping with my fucking hair. It's like, get me out of here. You know? But if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. And, um, you know, patience, communal aspects, connectivity, calm, 2020, you know? very important and it's food for thought so you know feeling fresh feeling kind of you know feeling kind of um in the zone for 2020 trying to better and big up as my barber would say yo i'm just trying to better better things up and big up things 2020 big things better bigging up and you know try to Try to get away from that anxiety and that isolation that is so comforting. You know what I mean? Because, you know, it sounds kind of strange, perhaps, that I'm talking like this. I understand. But it's really the cornerstone of relationship. You know, it's the cornerstone of human interaction. It's, it's the give and take of ideas and temperament between people. And that's how you make your way in the world with whatever you're doing, you know? I'm trying to be a performer. I'm trying to be a, yeah, I'm trying to be a performer. 
So I have to learn how to, you know, finesse and work with people and listen to people and not always be putting my needs first, right? My need is to have somebody shut the fuck up, cut my hair, and let me out of the fucking place in a timely fashion. Well, the need of a barber, the need of other customers, is to be communal, to sit down, have an experience, a nice little father-son field trip to get their hair done by their favorite hairdresser slash barber. You know, it's like rudimentary. It's like the shit that I forgot about. It's like the shit that they try to teach me in kindergarten, but I was too like busy, you know, pissing in the sandbox to pay attention to or whatever the fuck I was doing. So it's like, it's, it's dealing with that. And that's the cornerstone of um, human interaction. You know, it's, it's listening when it's time to be, it's listening when it's time to listen. It's speaking when it's time to speak. And it's reserving judgment. I know I can't say that I do that all the time, you know? I don't always speak when I need to speak. I don't always listen when I need to listen. And I don't always reserve judgment. I'm like anybody. I live in a cynical world and it has rubbed off on me. It's rubbed off on on me at times. Sometimes I'm cynical, motivated by self-interest. And, you know, whenever I find an opportunity to learn, I try to break it down into as small a puzzle as possible, solve it, and translate it to the greater picture. And, you know, it's like charity starts at home. These small interactions shape your character and help inform you in the more larger outlook of life challenges. You know? Who knew I was going to even say that? <laughs> Who knew it got that deep and metaphysical, you know? You know, I was just planning to rant and rave about bonehead bozos at the fucking hair shop, hair parlor, you know, talking that game, spitting that game, but it turned into a kind of a nice little thoughtful approach. So, hey, food for thought. Let me know what you think about hairdressers. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. What do you think about um, finding that calm in life to speak when you need to speak, listen when you need to listen, and reserve judgment? What do you think of that? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. You know? Also, what's going on for me in 2020? Debt free. Yeah. Debt free. Um, I think that's something that, you know, most people can strive or should strive towards. I mean... I ain't trying to knock you over the head with all my amazing um, (laughs) accolations and accomplishments. I mean, yo, I told you from the gate, I'm an alcoholic janitor. (laughs) But yo, 2020, starting off blessed, debt free. Yeah. I think it was like December 30th. I paid off my last payment on my student loan. Yeah. I was sitting on the toilet. I was hunkered down on the toilet, taking a dump, you know, and, um, you know, I'm on my cell phone. And I just go on to my online baking. <laughs> my online baking. I go on to my online banking. Paid off the last payment. You know, I felt like fucking little Wayne, you know, let the big... You guys remember that song? That's like from 2018 or 2008, actually. That's an old-ass track, actually. It's a good song, though. The Carter 3. The Carter 3. Let the beat build, bitch. Approve a million-dollar deals for my iPhone. 
I can see the end at the beginning. So I ain't racing, I'm just sprinting. That's how you let the beat build, bitch. Let the beat build, bitch. You know, I felt like fucking wheezy, you know? Approving a million dollar deals on my iPhone. Sitting there taking a dump, paying off bills. Felt pretty baller. So yeah, 2020, shaping up good in that manner. Oddly enough, I've never really been into the dookie humor. You know, I'm a crass, you know, you know, every comic talks about their dick or their fucking vajayjay or their titties, you know. Even some male comics talk about their own tits, you know, if you're a chubby one. So it's like, yeah, tits, dick, vagina, it's all up for grabs. <laughs> Not literally, but like, you know, it's up for grabs, the comic, you know, it's, it's a good way to get a quick laugh, you know. But for some reason, doo-doo, poop and pee-pee. You know, them jokes never really reached me. I find them funny when other people do them, but like for me to be like talking about shit and piss, not quite my forte, sadly, I have to admit. It all comes back to a traumatic episode in my childhood. Um, I remember I was at my cousin's house, my cousin, and she had a boyfriend, right? So my cousin at the time was probably like 17. I was like seven. You know, so, you know, she's about 10 years older than me. So her and her boyfriend were in like the TV room at their house. And I kept like, <laughs> I was like sneaking up and like peeking on them just to see what they were doing. And <laughs> then I'd scamper off, right? I don't know. I was seven, you know, thought I was cute or something. So then one time I, I, I kind of like lean around the corner, right? I'm like, <laughs> I'm giggling, you know, and as I went to run, as I went to run, I was like, and I turned to run. <laughs> oh my God, he farted. <laughs> you know, as I turned to run, I was like, I accidentally farted. And my cousin and her boyfriend, they're yucking it up, right? They got a big laugh going, right? They're chuckling and laughing. I was mortified. I ran into the living room, right? I'm like, oh, no. I'm so embarrassed. And I was just mortified, you know? Like, I farted, you know? And you remember when you're a kid, right? Especially if you're a very shy, kind of innocent kid. You know, I was kind of reserved. I was kind of shy. And, you know... It was embarrassing, you know, like to let off a big fart in front of my, you know, cousin and her boyfriend. I was mortified. And that that feeling has followed me my entire life. Like even my buddies, you know, ah, you know how the boys are. You're in the locker room. You let one rip or whatever. Or I remember one time, you know, oh, you know, all the shit that guys do hold you down and fart on you. You know, that fucking hazing, grazing, you know, that whole fucking, you know, just being young and dumb, you and the boys. And, you know, I, I was never down for that. All my friends were, <coughs> yo, check this out. And they just like, let them rip. I never found it that funny. It's kind of disgusting. And even in my comedy, as I got older, like poo and pee-pee and all that, I think that experience really shaped my kind of, you know, very personal approach to taking a dump, you know? It's kind of a personal thing for me. Granted, I've shit and pissed myself in public, you know? Um, you know, I remember one time in grade 12, um, it was the year-end field trip in grade 12, where it's like, what do they call it? Safe grad, when you go and you party on a you know, you go and you party in a designated area, even if you're underage. That way, there's no chance of, you know, car crashes, impaired driving, safe grad. So we're all corralled on this school bus and we're buzzing, we're bumbling around, we're driving along and we're on this bus ride and we're on our way to this safe grad. And I have like, you know, I have like um, a perfect 10 
You guys remember Perfect 10? Perfect 10 is like a 1.5 liter bottle of like the swishiest, swalliest, like this fucking piss beer. It's like 11, it's 10%, 10% beer. That's why they call it Perfect 10. So I drank a 0.5 liter bottle of Perfect 10 and I'm bumbling around on the bus, right? And you know, there, there I'm going. And all of a sudden this chick, <laughs> this chick, she jumps on my lap, right? Plunk. I'm like, oh God, there's this chick on my lap and I got a fucking 1.5 liters of alcohol in my belly and, and you know, we're bouncing around and all of a sudden, I feel the valve, the valve just goes, right? I'm, I'm like, oh my God, I just pissed myself, holy shit, my life's over. My life's over. I just pissed myself on this girl on the bus. Oh my God, the whole school's going to know. But somehow I lucked out and, you know, it was no big deal. Like, you know, a couple drips squeezed down my leg and, you know, I clamped the valve. Luckily, um, I guess she didn't notice or something. To this day, it's like the grace of God, like, how did nobody notice I pissed myself on the safe grad trip on the bus with a girl in my lap? Somehow nobody found out, or maybe they did and they talk about it behind my back. But you know what? That was like fucking what? 16 years ago? Okay. So whatever, who gives a fuck, right? But you know... I also shit myself in public once. That was no big deal. It was more like a shart. You know, when you shat yourself, shart yourself, you think it's a fart, but it turns out to be a shit. I had a minor little shart once in public. Nothing to write home about. But, you know, maybe going forward in 2020, I'll work on my um, shit and piss jokes. I mean, it's a useful tool as a comedian. I'm already a vulgar, bonehead, ignorant prick, so I might as well... Spice it up with a little bit of shit joke, a little bit of potty humor. Why not? You got to go for it in 2020. So I'm looking forward to it. Shit and piss jokes. But hey, that about wraps up for me. 2020, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very blessed, fortunate to have you as listeners and viewers. And I wish you all the best. Let's go out there and get it. Let's get into some headlines before I get out of here. Let's talk about what's going on in the world. You know? This is a very, I guess, important, newsworthy story. This is apparently big news. A lot of people have been talking about it. Check it out. But before I do so, let me get a sip of water. Well, coffee. Sip of coffee. All right, folks. Guess who the fuck it is that I'm going to be speaking about here. Okay. Okay. Let me tell you something, okay? Fake news. You know who it is, the old Trumpster, up to his old tricks again. Holy fuck, can you take a break, you know? On the fucking heels of a um, impeachment scandal, you know? In the interim before a Senate trial, what does old Donald Trump get himself up to? Anxiety, anticipation in Canada's largest Iranian dysphoria as news of Soleimani's killing stuns. Yes, airstrikes on Iran. President Donald Trump um, unilaterally airstrikes Iran. A lot of people have been talking about this. Um, let's get into it. So this is from cbc.ca, article by Shanifa Nasser. Um, da, da, da. In one of the world's largest Iranian communities outside of Iran, news of killing of one of the country's most notorious figures, General Qasem Soleimani, Soleimani is being met with a mix of shock, exhilaration, and for many, anxiety. Toronto, or Taranto, Teron, <laughs> is, as it's been dubbed by many of the approximately 100,000 people of Iranian descent living in the city, is home to the second highest concentration of Iranians outside 
I ran. Get me out of here! Kidding. Only Los Angeles has a larger Iranian community. Unlike its counterpart south of the border, which saw some of the biggest influxes of Iranians during and in the lead-up to the Iranian Revolution of 1979, which I have no fucking idea about, the Toronto-Iranian community's ties to its home country are arguably fresher. In large because immigration to Canada has been a relatively smoother process than to the United States. Duh. Canada, for example, had an embassy in Iran up until 2012, unlike the United States, which served diplomatic relations with the country, which severed diplomatic relations with the country in 1980. So the United States severed diplomatic relationships with the country in 1980. Got rid of their embassy, I guess. People are very worried, said Murdad Arenjad, who immigrated to Toronto in 1997. A little bit of a kerfuffle pronouncing that. But, you know, give me a break. I'm not Iranian. They're worried about another war breaking out in the Middle East. They're worried about their relatives, innocent people. But at the same time, I think many Iranian people here think as long as this regime is in power, these things are going to happen. Okay. At an anti-war rally outside the U.S. consulate in Toronto Saturday, some 100 demonstrators expressed a similar sentiment, concern over what is the latest action, what this latest action will mean for Iranians already living under the pressure of U.S. sanctions. Something Iranian-Canadian Salman Tazbanizanjad, a form of economic calls a form of economic warfare. So this is a a Toronto-Iranian calling it economic warfare. This is like an opinion. As word of Soleimani's death emerged, Tabassanajad, sorry for the pronunciation there, said she immediately phoned her grandmother in Iran. She was scared. There are kids who are scared. You learn this is... You learn this at a very young age in places like Iran, that, it, that if a big power like the United States doesn't like you, then your life is at their whim. That's pretty sad. <laughs> my heart is with my family in Iran, with the millions of people who go to sleep every night fearing that the next morning we're just that much closer to war. Still others mourned the loss of Soleimani, Soleimani himself despite his wars in the region, costing thousands of civilian lives. In Toronto, a candlelight vigil was held by a group of mourners who lit candles at the makeshift memorial for the general, while another group turned out in opposition, sparking some tense moments as police kept watch. Toronto police say this, the event ended peacefully. The news of Soleimani's death exploded across the international headlines and on social media when the U.S. Department of Defense confirmed President Donald Trump, okay? President Donald Trump had ordered an airstrike on the top Iranian general near Baghdad's airport Thursday. Soleimani, Trump said Friday, had been planning sinister attacks, okay? Sinister attacks, okay? On U.S. diplomats and service members. Soleimani, 62, head of Iran's elite Quds force. Soleimani, 62, head of Iran's elite Quds force, the special operations arm of the Revolutionary Guard, has been described as a shadowy figure in charge of Iran's proxy forces responsible for fighters backing Syrian President Bashar al-Assad and for the deaths of U.S. troops in Iraq among untold other attacks outside of Iran. And while Trump took to the podium at his Mar-a-Lago resort to proclaim Soleimani's reign of terror was over, saying the U.S. acted to stop war, okay? Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali 
Khamenei, Khamenei reacted to the news with a warning of harsh retaliation for the general's death. Khamenei, 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 the leader, Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, also called for three days of public mourning. Three days? Public mourning? <laughs> we went, I don't know, it's a bit intense. Like, how do you tell people to publicly mourn for three days? I don't know. But whether Soleimani's death will result in the sort of doomsday escalation that many have speculated about, news of his death saw World War III trending on Twitter. The impact on the everyday lives of Iranians in Iran is what many in the diaspora worry about most, says one observer. People are held down by the government itself there, and now the U.S. is tightening the screws, says Ali Dad Mavinizam, president of the West Asia Council, a nonprofit organization examining North American Middle Eastern relations through the lens of diasporic communities. I don't even know what that fucking means, diasporic. But let's just say, I don't know, you go look it up. I have enough to do here. Reading, performing, sweating under the lights. <clears throat> Mafanazam. Mayfanizam, who emigrated from Iran in 1983, points out many in Iran were already facing poor living conditions, including lack of electricity, shortages of fuel, and basic necessities. His fear isn't so much that Thursday's action will spark the next world war, but instead that the situation of Iranians will only worsen as conflict with the U.S. escalates. We're already in a war, but this is a case of societal collapse, and I think we're headed there, he said. Tensions over government-set gasoline prices peaked in November when officials hiked prices by 50%, sending thousands of demonstrators into the streets. Hundreds were killed amid the unrest. Hundreds of people were killed during a gasoline protest. Insane. Hundreds were killed amid the unrest, with thousands of others injured, detained, and detained, according to Amnesty International. Iran was really in living memory. Iran has really, in living memory, never been in this bad of shape. It is Iranians who are hungry. It is Iranians who are cold, he said. And with Iran and the U.S. down each other's throats, kind of sexual, with Iran and the U.S. down each other's throats, he says, "This sad tale is coming to. <laughs> this sad tale is going to continue." Hamad Garja of the Iranian Iran Democratic Association believes the only imminent collapse is that of Iran's clerical rule. This is the beginning of their. This is the beginning of the end of their atrocities, he said, adding he expects Soleimani's death will energize protests in the country. It is a catalyst for people to feel that we can stand up to this revolutionary guard. Asked if the U.S. taking action unilaterally against Soleimani's worried him, he replied that's not a concern. Any action is better than no action, he said, adding he would like to see Canada come out even more strongly against the Iranian regime. Okay. And that's basically it. The rest of it is kind of opinion, conjecture, X, Y, and Z. So, basically, President Donald Trump unilaterally commissioned an airstrike on Iran, which killed the general Qassam Soleimani, which is kind of a kind of a testy situation because you know you have Iranians believing it's a horrible regime with this uh, Qassam Soleimani, this head general. He was inflicting all sorts of. Um, military 
atrocities, you know, as mentioned, the gasoline protest, which found hundreds of people dead. Was it 100,000? No, it couldn't have been 100,000. It was like, whatever, hundreds of people, not whatever, but what did it say here? Um, it was hundreds. Uh, hundreds were killed amid the unrest. Amid the unrest of this gasoline protest, you know, this recent gasoline protest in November. So it's like, that's some crazy shit, you know, if you protest, if you're protesting gas prices and it leads to a hundred people dead, what kind of military control is that? That's insanity. You know, like, can't we just talk about it? Can't we all just get along? And another thing that's fascinating about this airstrike that um, took out the general, Kassam Soleimani, is at first I thought they killed 007. 007. This fucking Soleimani, he looks like fucking Sean Connery. He's a pretty good-looking dictator. He's a pretty good-looking warlord, you know? He looks like 007. He looks just like Sean Connery, you know? He's like, Sean Money Penny, you know? Silver Fox. But, you know, like, I don't know. It's kind of a testy situation. A lot of people are talking about it. Is it going to spark world outcry? Is this a spark of World War III? And what to make of this unilateral decision by Donald Trump to engage in an airstrike? Because, you know, like I said... The general consensus is you have a lot of Iranians saying it's a good thing. You have the supreme leader, Ayatollah, 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 Allah, Khamenei. You know, he's saying that there's going to be retaliation. He's crying for public mourning. So you have Iranians that are with it. You have Iranians that are against it. Against it. Internationally, it could spark kind of a unbalance as well because it's like mm, what to make of it but it's like the unilateral the unilateral and the definition of unilateral is in case you guys don't know I didn't know I had to look it up too I kind of knew but I didn't really know but um, to act in a singular fashion basically you know what I mean like to make a singular decision um, in irregard, regardless of, you know, other parties opposing viewpoints. To unilaterally act is to just make a decision against the regards, regardless of others and others' opinions. So, you know, President Trump, President Trump, <laughs> President Trump, okay. We are going to stop a war, not start a war, okay? I'm going to make the decision to just kill people, okay? <laughs> you know, he went from being a fucking, you know, reality TV star to pushing the button, okay? Making decisions that kill people unilaterally. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. I'm trying to... Be more engaged in my world events. That's why I kind of push the um, news articles on the podcast. The news of the day. But the more and more I listen to it, it's just as simple. It's just as simple as good and bad. Make the right decision or the wrong decision. And it can be just as simple as that, good and bad. I don't know if anybody should have that sort of power. Granted, there are many um, spokes in the wheel that turns to make a orchestrated military attack happen. But basically, Donald Trump was the spearhead, President Trump, under his leadership, unilaterally making the decision, go forward with the airstrikes, regardless of, you know other parties, you know, other governmental opinion, 
other democratic opinion. He just went ahead unilaterally. So that's a very scary thought as well. On the heels of an impeachment. <laughs> you know, he's like set for impeachment and then he's just sanctioning airstrikes, killing, I'm sure, a few innocent bystanders. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. What do you think on that? Going forward, I guess I have to be a person of my times, be on point, be in the, the awareness, be aware, be in awareness. But you hear all this information, and like, what do you make of it? Like, for God's sakes, like I told you, I'm a recovering alcoholic janitor. I'm reading this information online. Why would I be privy to any military information? What is the real story? What is the real agenda? Are we all just puppets in the game of, you know, the haves and the have-nots? Is there this great machine orchestrating their bidding and using us as the little worker ants to orchestrate their little their twisted agenda? How the fuck do we know what to think of any of this? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Yes. But hey, too blessed to stress, 2020, it's a beautiful start of a new decade. And you know, the impeachment trial with President Trump, that shall soon come to fruition, the Senate trial. Um, Fresh new decade, a lot of hope, a lot of um, promise. So let's just hold on to that in the spirit of, um, you know, renew. In the spirit of a renewed decade. All right? Hallelujah. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent January 5th in the year of our Lord, 2020. Do you got questions? Do you got qualms on this whole Iranian situation? What do you think about barbershops? What do you think about the idea of speaking when you need to speak, listening when you need to listen, and reserving judgment? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Do you have any suggestions for the podcast? Get at me, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Hey, check me out. I'm on iTunes. I'm on Spotify. I'm on YouTube. I have a website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. Get at me. Till next time, folks. You live it, you love it, you realize it. I peace.